Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Hey there, thank you again for checking out our podcast. Today we have something special for you. My friend Jim is a special guest preacher we have on today. Jim is going to bring a wonderful message addressing the concepts of anxiety uh, and other uh, related items like that. So uh, thank you so much for for being here. I hope today's message blesses you. Uh, It was captured from our PMC Beyond experience. That's our online church platform. So uh, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Jim Maurer. I usually go to the Trinity Church in Boyertown, EC. Um, it was nice of Cam to uh, invite me and offer me this opportunity. And, and I don't want my facial expression to be a distraction. Um, you guys don't know what I look like. I don't think I look like this. Um, I think I'm much taller. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I have Bell's palsy. And, and now that I say it, some of you can maybe see the uh, the droop that's affecting part of my face and um, kind of the, the heavy sound that I have when I pronounce the letter F's. And so just, uh, you know, doctors believe that will go away. Um, and whether or not it does is in God's hands. Um, but today I want to look at uh, anxiety. Um, when I started to prepare, I, I thought that I was looking at suffering but the more I look at it, no, it's it's not suffering. It's anxiety and anxiousness. And I want to look at uh, a passage that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 9. Um, if you're like me, you've heard the saying that sticks and stones can break your bones, but names will never hurt you. And uh, I think we all realized pretty quickly um, how untrue that is. Uh, Name calling and words can hurt deeply and wounds that don't often heal easily and that can last a lifetime. Most often these words are are things that you were already self-conscious about or didn't like about yourself. Uh, Your nose, your hair, your weight, your height, uh, maybe an imperfection or an affirmity. Uh, We're so vulnerable as humans. Now, 2 Corinthians tells us that we keep the treasure of Christ in jars of clay. We're so fragile, certainly not steel boxes, but that's our flesh. That's our humanity, fragile and easily damaged, and certainly not just our emotions um, or our self-esteem, but also our physical bodies. So many systems and organs and functions that have to work just right. There are certain parts of our bodies that must be guarded with great care. Our spinal cord, uh, major veins and arteries in your arms and legs and neck that if punctured or ruptured could uh, result in immediate danger. Um, Our body also has pressure points, parts of our body that really can't withstand much impact. uh, The the sides of your head, your your temple, your windpipe, your trachea, um, dead center in your chest. or your nose. Um, no doubt you've heard many of the frightening stories that I have. But the question for this morning is about where are we most vulnerable spiritually? And I think Philippians is going to show us that it's our hearts and our minds 
And as we look at Philippians 4 today, let's consider what Paul had to say to the church at Philippi and consider what that message still has to say to us today. Pray with me as we ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Father God, uh, as we open your word, we, we pray that you would give us hearts to receive, um, eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand that we might respond in obedience for your glory. Lord, be with us this morning. Pray your blessing on our time together. In Christ's powerful name, amen. Um, this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or received or, or learned from me, seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Mm. Hearts and minds. When we think of our heart, we're not talking about just a blood-pumping organ. We're talking about our, our soul and, and just that inner part of us that makes us very much who we are. When we talk about our minds, we're not just talking about a command center of our brain um, that reacts with a lot of nerve and impulses. Uh, but a storehouse for our thinking, where our enemy desires for there to be peace and anxiety, for there to be war in our hearts and our minds. Now, this is the culminating portion of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and it's powerful. Powerful in doctrine, but also in practical application. Now, in the first chapter of Philippians, uh, Paul explained his own desire to magnify Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, Paul encourages believers to have the mind and attitude that was in Christ. By chapter 3, Paul continues to explain his own earthly example of a Christ-changed life, but also doctrinally, particularly with regard to misunderstandings between the former practices of Judaism. And now here we arrive at chapter 4, and Paul begins to conclude his appeal for unity and Christ-like behavior. And we find ourselves at verses 4 to 9. And beginning with verse 4, I think it's interesting that Paul repeatedly encouraged the believers to rejoice. Now, we often use words like joy and happiness as modern-day synonyms for rejoicing. But there are subtle differences. Um, happiness is often understood as an outward emotional expression, uh, a reaction to a pleasant circumstance. But joy, on the other hand, at least for a believer, joy must be different, a deeper inner characteristic that the Holy Spirit enables in us, despite our circumstance. Now, Jesus told his disciples that they'd be blessed when they were reviled, blessed when they were persecuted, and he told them to rejoice and be glad. How can that be possible? 
Paul offers it similarly, perhaps more clearly in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. He says, be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Paul's repeating the admonition, the encouragement to rejoice might indicate that he uh, thought his audience might find it unreasonable. Anxiety is not unique to the church in Philippi. Humans worry. Uh, we worry about people. We worry about things that matter, things that we care about, people we love. Christians can only be compelled to rejoice because of the object of our faith. Our grounds for rejoicing is a, in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, certainly not in our circumstance. Now, verse 5 says, let our gentleness be evident to everyone, particularly the unsaved, I might add. Uh, the King James translates gentleness as moderation, a sort of meekness in the face of provocation, maybe a government of sorts of our emotion, a pleasantness of disposition, a readiness to forgive. We need to be the kinds of people that others want to be around. In Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, verse 2, he uses a form of the word when Paul says, speak evil of no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now the Lord is near, uh, Maranatha, perhaps better understood as the Lord is at hand. Do we live like that? What would we do differently this week if we knew for sure that Jesus was returning on Tuesday? Oh, the boldness and intentionality that I think we would have. Then we come to verse 6, which speaks to anxiety in a powerful way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Perhaps Philippians 128 was the source of the Philippian anxiety, fear and opposition and standing firm as one in faith and in the gospel. But I think it's fair to imagine that the Philippians' anxieties had a lot in common with us today, um, concern for their health, their safety, finances, government officials, sickness, disease, unsaved loved ones. But for believers, anxiety has to be dispelled by prayer. And now God is going to offer in verse 7 to guard our hearts and minds. And some have argued with me that to worry is sin. Maybe. Is it a sin to have your blood pressure increase? Is it a sin to have your pulse quicken? Is it a sin to have your breathing become more rapid? Is it a sin to have adrenaline course through your veins? These are autonomic responses that our body has. Now, I would say, how quickly are we um, able to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? We're being called to renew our minds. And quite simply, prayer is the cure for anxiety, along with God's guarding of our hearts and our minds, the two places that were the most vulnerable spiritually. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 tells us not only to rejoice, but to pray, and without ceasing. Obviously, we're not going to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but we can live lives where we're in communion, in conversation with God, where it's just so natural for us to be able to go before the throne 
with requests, with adorations, with confessions, with thanks. I don't mean to in any way try to, I'm not trying to minimize uh, any of the anxiety that you might be dealing with or have dealt with. But do you remember ever trying to reassure a child or, or a pet um, that a thunderstorm is okay? It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, that's how I imagine God trying to trying to love on us as we get anxious, anxious about things that he's already seen, things that he already knows the outcome of. Um, I don't need to look any further than the mirror. When I I look at uh, how Christians respond to anxiety, Paul's telling the Philippians, God's telling us, don't be anxious about anything. A couple of quick thoughts. Uh, Mark Twain used to uh, mistakenly (laughs) say who authored this quote, and and maybe I'm wrong when I say it's Mark Twain, but Mark Twain, uh, as I understand it, towards the end of his life, um, said, you know, I'm an old man. And I've seen a lot of trouble, but most of it didn't happen. (laughs) I always appreciated uh, that quote because our minds are capable of imagining some very dark and difficult things. Um, I'm reminded of Christian author Neil Anderson. Uh, He wrote a lot of books about spiritual warfare, but he told a story once about his two children. He had, a, at the time, it was a, a little boy and a little girl. I think the, his uh, son, Carl, was five and his uh, daughter was eight. And uh, Carl was jumping out of a tree into his father's arms just again and again and again. Um, and then Neil Anderson asked his son, jump into your sister's arms. And of course, the little boy wouldn't do it. And I ask you, why? What changed? What changed for this little boy who just jumped again and again into the arms of his father, knowing that his father would care for him, catch him, and protect him? I would argue that it was the object of his faith. (laughs) This little boy wasn't a dummy. He's five. He's not stupid. Uh, He has great confidence in his father. He didn't have that same confidence in his sister, and rightly so. But this is the confidence we need to have when our hearts are stricken with anxiety and anxiousness. Jesus told us clearly, um, let tomorrow take care of itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. You see, God blesses us with his unimaginable grace in times of trouble and hardship. And I don't mean to say that those times aren't going to come. But I don't know that we get that same grace in what we imagine. Do, Do you see the difference? God's going to hold us and cradle us in difficult times. But what we imagine, what we scare ourselves of, these things that Mark Twain said he imagined, but it didn't even happen. I don't know that we get that same grace from those moments. Does that make sense? I want to read a quote to you by uh, famed author C.S. Lewis, uh, often uh, you know, noted for his Chronicles of Narnia, but C.S. Lewis wrote a great many things, and a lot of them uh, very doctrinally sound. Um, This is a couple of sentences to it, but uh, C.S. Lewis was speaking on on self-sufficiency in the place of relying on God when dealing with human pain and, and suffering and trials and hardships and even anxiety. And C.S. Lewis had this to say, 
He says, my own experience is something like this. I'm progressing along the path of life in my ordinary contentedly fallen condition, absorbed in a meeting with my friends and a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, maybe a holiday or reading a new book, when suddenly a bodily pain threatens disease or destruction or a headline in the paper. And remember, C.S. Lewis uh, is writing this in 1940, um, the end of World War II. And those of us who have lived through 9-11 and Y2K and even just the events of the past year and a half, I think we can identify with that that headline in the paper that threatens us all with disaster. And C.S. Lewis says, it sends the whole pack of cards tumbling down. And at first I'm overwhelmed and all my little happinesses They look like broken toys. And then suddenly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. I remind myself that these broken toys and happinesses were never intended to possess my heart and that my true good and my true treasure is in another world, that my only treasure is Christ. And perhaps by God's grace, I succeed. And for a period of time, I become a creature consciously dependent on God and drawing my strength from the right source. But the moment that threat is withdrawn, my whole nature wants to leap back to the toys. I'm even anxious, C.S. Lewis says, God forgive me, to banish from my mind the only thing that has supported me under the threat because it is now associated with the misery of those few days. And thus the terrible necessity of tribulation of hardship and anxiety is only too clear. God has but had me 48 hours and then only by dint of taking everything else away. But let him sheath that sword for a moment and I behave like a puppy when the hated bath is over. I shake myself as dry as I can and I race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness. If not in the nearest manure heap, at least in the nearest flower bed. And that is why tribulation and suffering and anxiety cannot cease until God sees that our remaking is hopeless or that we're remade. So what do we do? Well, we don't look to ourselves and we don't look to our circumstances. We rejoice with thanksgiving and we make our requests known to God and in everything by prayer, and everything includes anything sufficient to cause anxiety. Everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, thankfulness for who God is, for what he's done, perhaps for the circumstance itself, but thankful for everything that we know he's capable of doing. This is the proper spirit in which we approach our loving father with our requests. And then what happens? Watch what happens. Put your seatbelt on and watch this. The peace of God, the tranquility of spirit that only God enjoys and that only he can give to us, which transcends understanding. Now, some have said that that simply means God possesses a peace of mind that mankind is incapable of, of even fathoming or comprehending. But please understand God's peace in this way. It's something being offered to us, given to us, 
a peace that surpasses our understanding. It surpasses all of our careful planning, all of our creative ideas, all of our industrious efforts, our manipulations and our attempts at how we can resolve our own problems and our own anxieties. And then God will guard the, the, the Greek word, it's a military expression. It means to guard or garrison, to be stationed to defend. Wow. That's what the peace of God is dispensed to do on our behalf. To be stationed to defend. And defend what? Our hearts and our minds. And from whom? Our adversary, the devil, who roams the earth looking for someone to devour. Isn't that exactly what happened in the book of Job? Satan comes before God. The curtain of heaven is pulled back for some reason. And God says, where have you come from? He says, I just go back and forth roaming the earth. And isn't that what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8? Your adversary, the devil, roams the earth like a ferocious lion looking for someone to devour. Ladies and gentlemen, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Do we believe that? We better, because it's real. The greatest trick Satan ever pulled was making people not believe in him. A little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. He's a monster. And he hates all of us. His knowledge of God helps him hate people. Let's not deceive ourselves that our days, the events that make up our days, aren't filled with these unseen spiritual battles. But be encouraged. Our victory is in Christ. Jesus has overcome the world, and that includes our anxiety. Do you remember playing the game Capture the Flag as a kid? I know I'm getting older and older. It's certainly hard to imagine a socially distanced version of Capture the Flag. But there was always one person whose kind of job it was to kind of stick by the flag. They, they were not looking to attack the other flag or go capture the other flag, the name of the game. No, no, their, their job was to defend the flag, to guard the flag. In the game of soccer, they have a position called the sweeper. It's not the goalie. It's the guy in front of the goalie. He can go all the way back and forth, but he's like the last line of defense before there's a shot on the goalie. Who's guarding our hearts? Who's guarding the flags of our hearts and our minds? God wants to do this for us. God's offering to do this for us, to stand guard, to defend, to be stationed. God is offering to eliminate our anxiety and to guard our hearts and minds. And there's no trick to it. There's no magic. We just keep praying, praying with thanksgiving, and just laying our requests before the throne of our Father. Hardship's not going to go away, and outcomes aren't always going to go the way we want them to. But our anxiety can. We can trust God. We can trust that God is perfect and holy and just perfect in power and sovereignty, perfect in, in benevolence and kindness. God's not some old man that was powerful in the Old Testament but really can't help us anymore today. Um, God is just as powerful as he always was, the same today and forever. 
the same as yesterday. This is the God we serve. This is the God who's offering to protect us. This is who Paul's talking about. And we know all circumstances that went the opposite. We've all experienced things that went the opposite of what we prayed for. And I don't mean to make light of that, but this is part of our sanctification, part of the maturing of our faith, part of making our calling and election sure, part of working out our faith with fear and trembling, pressing on with love and good deeds, passing the test of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, living according to God's word, seeking him with all of our hearts, not straying from the faith, hiding God's word in our hearts, acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly in the counsel of the godly, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night, and letting our requests be made known to God. Prayer, just talking to our Father. This is God's antidote to worry and anxiety. And Paul provides us with a powerful metaphor. The peace of God is going to act as a sentinel, a guard over the citadel of God's cherished possession. His children, our hearts and our minds, our most vulnerable spiritual organs. In verse 8, Paul offers a little bit of a, a, a paragraph on mental health. Paul lists eight things that believers are to meditate on. A quick note on meditation. If your mind is anything like mine, when you hear the word meditate, you immediately jump to the idea of Eastern, the Eastern practice of, of transcendental meditation. And we hit the brakes and we leave skid marks across our Bibles at the sight of this word. Meditation is a Judeo-Christian word. It's in our Bible. It's our word. And we need to take it back. We need to have no shame over dwelling on the infiniteness of our God and the virtues he's called us to meditate on and to take account, to think on, to dwell on, to focus on, to reckon with, to calculate, to esteem and estimate, to carefully reflect and make these the subject of our thoughts. What's true? The things that are noble, the things that are pure and lovely and of good report, things that are virtuous and praiseworthy. Jesus told us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be also. And if your mind works anything like mine, you're always thinking about something. What part of the swimming pool of thinking are you allowing your heart and mind to be in? Don't you feel that's true of your hearts and minds? I do. When I spend time in God's word, when I communicate often with brothers and sisters in Christ, when I commune with God in prayer, when I focus on those eight things, my propensity for sin and certainly anxiety is diminished. Now, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and that includes anxiety, thoughts that make us anxious. Anxiety is not going to go away, but we can deal with it appropriately. We can offer it back to God. Be careful, little eyes, what you see, what you watch on TV, what you read, what you listen to, what you hear, the sewer of what we can find on the internet. And guess what? 
Not only will the peace of God be with you, guarding your hearts and your minds, but the God of peace will be with you too. Do, do, do you see the cleverness of that wording? The peace of God beyond understanding will be with you. And so will the God of peace. God is omnipresent, but sometimes our understanding of him isn't our awareness of him. Paul presented the church in Philippi with sound advice. These truths are no less applicable today. And there's no trick to it. There's no magic. God desires to guard the most vulnerable spiritual organs, your hearts and your minds. Let your inner joy be in Christ. Approach your loving father with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. He's inviting you to. Let's pray. Father God, we rejoice in you. We thank you for hearing our prayers and for guarding our hearts. We pray that we would step forward from today in confidence of your power and your great love for us. And we pray these things in the powerful, protective name of Christ. Amen.